Proverbs is the authorized book on wisdom. If you want wisdom, you want to go to the book of Proverbs. It is filled with short sayings, general principles, maxims that tell the people of God how they can get wisdom from God. It's written by Solomon and primarily by Solomon, and he seeks to give his son instruction. Uh, particularly in the first nine chapters, he wants to instruct his son on how he can have wisdom and knowledge and fear before the Lord. And so it's become a very special book in the lives of God's people. 31 chapters, many sayings, many short statements, and not always tightly connected, but a book filled with wisdom. If you want wisdom, you cannot avoid the book of Proverbs in your life. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, the verses that we will be looking at today are probably the most famous verses in all of this book. When you think about 31 different chapters, some of these are long chapters, no other two verses are as famous and familiar as Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. I'm a firm believer that you should have a life verse, our life verses, verses that communicate to yourself and to others what your life is all about and what is significant and important. And I don't know what your life verse is. Some people, it's Philippians 121. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's his philosophy of life and his perspective on death. Uh, One of the verses that has ministered to me throughout my Christian life, particularly in my early years, is Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, where Paul said, that I may know him, not about him, but know him in an intimate, personal, close way. And Paul said, that's my aim as a Christian, that I want to know Christ. Uh, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. For some, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is their life verse. So I can't think of these two verses without thinking of my sister-in-law, who's now in heaven. Those of you who knew Bun, you knew that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 were her life verses. Anytime you get a card, not only would she put Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, she'd write it out. So card after card, birthday, Christmas, whatever, there it was. These were the two verses that she ordered her steps by. These were the two verses that guided and directed her life. And they are wonderful verses. And I'm not suggesting to you that they have to become your life verses, but I am suggesting to you that these are two critical, important verses for us in our walk with God. And as I look at Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, I want to talk to you about the trust-driven life. Some of you are familiar with the 
purpose-driven life. And that's good or bad, but you're familiar with that. Some are familiar with the Bible-driven life. I want to suggest to you that in light of these two verses, that it's talking about the trust-driven life. And that's what I want to share with the educators, with the administrators, and really every Christian. Every Christian should take these two verses to heart and live them out, whether they're your life verses or not. At the heart of the trust-driven life is this phrase, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. That's a command. And the idea of the word trust is to uh, can be used in a literal sense, Now, the idea can be literally spoken of somebody physically relying upon or depending upon something else. But here it's used in a figurative sense of an individual who's relying upon and trusting someone else. And so when we talk about trust, we're talking about depending upon, relying upon, putting all of yourself on someone else. And it's clear that here we are to put our trust not in just anyone, but we are to put our trust in the Lord. Not in a fairy tale, not in a figment of your imagination, but in a real concrete person who is described here as the Lord. That is, he's the one who is the creator He spoke the world into existence. Now, he is the one who enters into a relationship with people. In the Old Testament, he's the covenant-keeping God. And, And he's known by this name, the Lord, or Yahweh, because he does have a relationship with his people. Back in Exodus chapter 3, God revealed himself to Moses. And he said, Moses, I am that I am. I'm the covenant-keeping God. I'm Yahweh. I'm the self-existent God. So when the writer of Proverbs, when Solomon commands us to trust in the Lord, he's not saying this trust in anything. He's saying trust in the one who reigns and rules. Trust in the one who's where heaven is his footstool, uh, where heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. Trust in this one. I mean, is there anyone better? Is there any other thing better than trusting in the Lord? The, the people of God recognize who God is, that he's all powerful, that he's all knowing, that he knows he's everywhere present at the same time. And what Solomon is saying to his son, what he's saying to us, put your trust in him. This is not some bunny wet rabbit. This is not some person that we think about during Easter time or Christmas. This is the Lord, the Lord of heaven and earth. And I'm not going to belabor the point, but you can find in scripture several times where it talks about putting your trust in the Lord. In Psalm 37, verse 
3, it says, trust in the Lord and do good. Later on in that same psalm in verse 5, it says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. So at the heart of this trust-driven life is obeying the command to put your trust in none other but the Lord. And that's this life that we're called to, where I'm relying upon, where I'm trusting, I'm depending, I'm throwing myself completely upon the Lord, Yahweh. And then we're going to see some different aspects of that kind of trust-driven life. The trust-driven life is a life that trusts the Lord wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. Trust the Lord entirely and completely, holding nothing back at all. That's what... It's being said when it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. With with everything that you have. Holding nothing back, nothing in reserve. You're giving yourself completely and totally to God, to the Lord. You're relying upon him. You're depending upon him. You're throwing yourself on the Lord completely and totally. And so the idea is that you're making sure that you're wholehearted when it comes to your trust in the Lord. In Psalm 119, I devoted a whole sermon to wholeheartedness, where the psalmist said that we are to wholeheartedly seek the Lord. That as I'm to seek the Lord with all my heart, We are to wholeheartedly obey the Lord. With all of my heart, I'll keep your word. We are to wholeheartedly pray to the Lord. And now Solomon is telling his son that as it comes to life, you are to trust the Lord with all your heart. Not some of your heart, but with all your heart. And when he talks about the heart, he's talking about the very core of who we are. Our mission control center, our, our, our mind, our emotion, our will. All of that is to put his confidence and his security in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Not with a half heart, but with a whole heart. Not partially and leaving something back, but making sure you're giving yourself fully and completely and totally to trusting in him. A complete abandoning of one's heart to the Lord. And so I ask you the question, do you trust in the Lord? And I'm sure if I were to take my microphone around to each and every one of you, You would say, yes, I trust in the Lord. But that's not really the question. The question is, do you trust in the Lord with all your heart? Do you trust him wholeheartedly? Is there evidence in your day 
in, day out walk that you have thrown yourself completely upon him. That you're leaving nothing in reserve. You, you have abandoned yourself completely to him and totally to him. That's the challenge. That's the question. All of us would say, yes, I trust in the Lord. But is there evidence that we do that wholeheartedly? Can I say that I'm giving myself 110% to trusting and relying and depending upon the Lord? As we continue to look at verse 5, we're going to see the possibility exists that I can trust the Lord with a divided heart. I can. I can trust the Lord and also trust other things and other people. So it's critical that we really pay attention to this next point, that the trust-driven life is a life that trusts the Lord exclusively. Exclusively. That is, your confidence and your trust in the Lord is completely and totally totally. Only in him and in him alone, solely in the Lord. And that's the point that is being brought out in the last part of verse 5 when it said, And do not lean to your own understanding. That's a contrast to trusting in the Lord with all your heart. The contrast to that is leaning. To your own understanding. And and, and Solomon is prohibiting his son. He's giving his son a negative command. He says, don't, don't, don't lean to your own understanding. As you live your life day in and day out, don't lean and depend and rely upon your own understanding. That's what he's getting at. To lean. It's almost the same idea as the idea of trust. It's to rely on. It's to place yourself on something else. And it can be used physically or figuratively. We've seen people trust or lean on their crutches as they seek to walk. They put their weight upon the crutches to get from one place to the other. Now the command for us is, as we get from one place to the other, that we allow God to be the one that we depend upon and that we don't allow our understanding to be our crutch. Don't rely upon your understanding. It's interesting that in the book of Proverbs, every time that it's used, it's used in a positive sense. Understanding is a good thing. You read Proverbs and you learn that. Uh, We learned that when we went through Psalm 119. Repeatedly, the psalmist would cry out to God, God, give me understanding. Give me understanding. Make me understand. Because he understood that this idea of understanding, this idea of wisdom, insight, was necessary to live a life that pleases God. And so he said, God, teach me. God, give me understanding. Don't just give me facts, but show me how the facts relate so I can live a life that honors you. And so now, 
In Proverbs 3, verse 5, the only time in the book of Proverbs it's used, the word understanding is used in a negative sense. It's referred to as your understanding. There is an understanding, there's a wisdom from God, and there's an understanding and a wisdom that is from man that leaves God out. And so when the Bible talks here about your understanding, it means you got wisdom, but you got the world's wisdom. You got wisdom, but it's wisdom from below, as James called it, hellish wisdom, as opposed to wisdom from above that comes from God that would be heavenly wisdom. It's a wisdom that we get naturally. We get outside of God and we don't depend upon God. We sometimes call it common sense wisdom. But, but God says, I want you to have godly sense wisdom. I want you to have insight and understanding that comes from me through my word. And here the negative command is, don't, do not lean to your own understanding. Don't rely upon it. Don't trust in it at all. It's unreliable. It's undependable to do so. Do not lean to your own understanding. And this has to be the greatest challenge for us as we trust in the Lord with all our heart that we lean to our own understanding. Understanding that comes to us outside of God. Understanding that sometimes comes because we have experience. The command is, the negative command, the prohibition is, don't lean to your own understanding. Nothing wrong with understanding as long as it comes from God. But what's emphasized is it your own understanding. And the danger that we face is that we do that. And that's why we are being warned not to do it. Just think about your life and me think about my life. How often we make decisions, we pursue things, we do things based upon our own understanding. Oh, we might slap a prayer on it after we've decided. But the reality of the matter is we're leaning to our own understanding. We have not consulted God. We have not consulted his word. We have not consulted godly counselors. We do things as we think we know best. Who better to know how to live life than me? We don't even like that show, that old show, Father Knows Best. We believe I I know best. And we act that way. We might not verbally say it, but in our decisions that we make, in the path that we walk down, a lot of times it's self-centered. It's all wrapped around me. And so we get wisdom from Facebook. Instead of God's book. 
I know because I see your lights. Somebody puts up a catchy little friend. You love it. You like it. Oh, man, I got a thousand likes on that. We don't rely upon God's treasured word, tweets. We rely upon Twitter, our X. And that's how some of us are living our lives. We are depending upon, we are relying upon individuals, what they're saying, where they're leaving God out, and we're taking that as gospel. We're taking that as that's what I should follow. That's what I should do. And so there's a lot of confusion today. There's just a lot of confusion. We don't know if God says marriage is between a man and a woman, or does God say marriage is between two people who love himself. We got Christians who, who would tell you that they're a Christian, they love the Lord, and they're confused about same-sex marriage. They're confused about whether homosexuality is a sin or not. They're confused about some of these cultural challenges that we're facing today. And and I'm not going to harp on that because that might be evidence of the fact that we are not relying upon God exclusively when it comes to those matters, not relying upon his word. But my concern is for the people of God who say they're the people of God, who are committed to God and who are holding Bibles in their hands. And yet there's no evidence, no proof that they're living by the word. They buy into sayings like, The idea you can have it your way. Go after your best life. And that's just falling into the trap of your understanding in my understanding. The text says don't lean to your own understanding. Don't rely upon your thinking apart from God's thinking and reasoning to develop your convictions and your values and your beliefs. If God has spoken on the matter and if he has not stuttered and if you can't go to the word and say, God is saying this, don't rely upon your own understanding. Don't you have the arrogance to think that you know better than God. The God of the Bible says, I know all things perfectly. I know what is best for you. I instituted marriage. I designed marriage between a man and a woman. I'm the one that says what sin is and what sin is not. I don't care what our culture says. And our culture is saying it loudly and clearly. And Christians are confused. And the reason why they're confused, they're leaning to their own understanding or the understanding of somebody else who seems like they know something and they know nothing because their wisdom does not come from God. And so I'm making the bold-faced statement. 
Wisdom from God is what we're to trust. It's what we're to rely upon. And don't forget who's writing these words. Solomon. Solomon is the one who had the most wisdom besides our Lord Jesus Christ. He had riches. He had all the things. And he's saying, son, put your trust in riches. No. Put your trust in your own understanding. No. Put your trust in your education, your accomplishment. No. Put your trust in the Lord wholeheartedly and exclusively. Trust him alone and solely. And on a practical matter, what this means is that we're coming to the word of God to get our wisdom. Your wisdom and my wisdom means nothing. Just because I've been married 47 years doesn't mean I know what to tell you regarding marriage. I can give you some practical things, some experiential things, but wisdom that we want that you can build your marriage on is from the word of God. Now, there's more to this trust-driven life. So not only are we to trust the Lord wholeheartedly and exclusively, but also, would you please see that you're to trust the Lord submissively. The trust-driven life submits to the Lord. And that's what is said at the beginning of verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Some translations put it this way. In everything you do, in all you do, in every course you take, acknowledge him. Nothing is excluded. Whatever you do, whatever you say, wherever you go, whatever path you take, acknowledge him. And I sure hope you understand that to acknowledge the Lord doesn't mean that you tip your hat at the Lord. Okay, no, that's not what we're talking about. I'm going down, tip my hat at the Lord. I acknowledge the Lord's presence. No, this word acknowledge literally means to know the Lord. And it speaks of having an intimate, experiential knowledge of the Lord. It's talking about you and the Lord growing together in closeness, in oneness. This word is actually used in Genesis 4.1, where it said that Adam knew Eve. And I hope you know what that means, right? He had sex with her. He had a relationship with her. Intimacy between Adam and his wife Eve. And now, as we come to this text, not talking about having sex, but it's talking about intimacy. Closeness. That in every step of the way, my goal, my desire is to know Yahweh. To know his heart to know his will, to know his plan, to know his desires, to know his word, to know his ways. It doesn't matter if I'm going down the path of education, I'm at school, doesn't matter if it's at my job, doesn't matter if it's at home, in my marriage relationship, whatever the way might be, make it your goal to know the Lord, 
to have an intimate, personal knowledge of the Lord, to know his heartbeat, to know what he desires, to know what he wants. That's part of trusting in the Lord with all your heart, to know the Lord. Do you know him? I'm not talking about as a salvation point of view. I'm talking about as you take the steps of life. Are you seeking to know the Lord? You want to know his heartbeat, his will, his desire, his pleasure, his ways, his word. And I'll tell you, you can never, ever know the Lord like what is being commanded here without knowing his word. It just ain't going to happen. You can sleep on the Bible. You can put your head on the Bible. You can have a big old Bible in the back of your car or in your home. That word has to get from God into your head and into your heart and into your hands. That's how crucial, how critical the word of God is. That's why we preach it. That's why we teach it. That's why we share it. Because you'll never know him by twiddling your thumbs. You'll never know him by reading your horoscope. You'll never know him by reading the latest books on spirituality. You know him through the word. In all your ways, it doesn't matter which way it is. It doesn't matter which path it is, so to speak. It doesn't matter what time of life. In all your ways, know him. So I can say that to you if you're in middle school. I can say that if you're a middle age or senior. Whatever you do, whatever you pursue, whatever every path you're going down, make sure you are knowing God in an intimate and personal way. That what is his heartbeat, you yield to. So that what is his word, you obey. You subject yourself to the Lord in all of your ways. Solomon has given his son three commands. But you know what? He doesn't end with just commanding his son. He ends by giving his son a promise. And so I want us to see this last point, that the trust-driven life is a life that reaps the Lord's prosperity. Do it God's way, and you will be blessed do it your way, and you can sing with Frank Sinatra all you want. I did it my way. And you're not going to experience prosperity and blessing from God. Oh, the devil might come along and give you some stuff. Isn't that what he promised Jesus? Jesus, if you do it my way, I'll give you all the kingdoms and all this world has to offer. And some people think, well, because I got money, I got a good job, I got education, nice car, this and that. 
that they're being blessed by God. You might be blessed by the devil. God's prosperity, you you can't measure in, in terms of your bank account. You can't measure in terms of your cars or your houses or how well you're known, etc. Here, Solomon says to his son, Obey the command to trust in the Lord wholeheartedly. Obey the command to not lean to your own understanding. Obey the command to acknowledge him and know God in all your ways. And the promise is, according to the last part of verse 6, and he, God, the Lord, will make your path straight. Now, if you have a King James or a New King James Version, it might read different. Now, many of us who grew up memorizing from the King James Version, it says, and he shall direct thy paths. But that's not what this verse is saying. This verse is not saying that if you obey these commands, then God will guide you. That's not what it's saying. These verses are saying that if you obey God's command, he'll bless you. He will prosper you. You will experience his prosperity, his spiritual blessings. He'll make your path straight. They won't be crooked. They won't be wicked. They won't be evil, but your paths will be straight and smooth despite the obstacles that you will encounter, despite the hindrances that you will face. The Lord says, if you will trust me with your whole life, if you will trust me and not yourself, if you will trust me and acknowledge me and know me, I will make sure that despite the hindrances and the obstacles, that your path will be smooth. You'll get to your final destination. And and when when I say that, scripturally, to get to your final destination means you'll get home safely. It doesn't mean there's no obstacles. It doesn't mean there's no hardship. Read Hebrews 11. Read about those heroes of faith. Read about Abraham and Abel and Enoch and Noah. And the list goes on and on. Many of them did not get the blessings here on earth. But the path was smooth. The path was made straight. Because they trusted in the Lord and got them home safely. They didn't have their eyes on this earth. But as it says with regards to Abraham, he was looking for a better city, a better place, whose architect and builder is God. He'll smooth your ways. He will straighten your paths. He'll see you through. That's who he is. Read your Bibles and and the testimony over and over and over again. God is a faithful God. God is a dependable God. God will see you through your heartaches and your troubles and your problems and your difficulty. He'll see you through. He will prosper you if you will trust him.
with all your heart. If you will abandon your own understanding, and if you will make sure in all of your ways that you seek to know him. The trust-driven life applies to salvation. Can I say that again? The trust-driven life applies to salvation. If you are here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and the pardon of your sins, what is said in this verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart, applies to you. As one who is dead in his or her trespasses and sins. When Paul was thrown in prison, we read in Acts 16 that after that earthquake and the prisoners were kind of set free, Paul told the Philippian jailer what? Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and God will save you. Put all your trust, all your confidence, and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lean completely and totally on him. Don't lean on this. This thing will fall over. But the Lord Jesus Christ will sustain you. The trust-driven life applies to salvation, and I trust that you have done that, that that's where it begins. But the trust-driven life also applies to sanctification. Day by day, step by step, trust in the Lord wholeheartedly, exclusively, and submissively. And God will bless you. God will bless you. I read a book very recently about an individual who was a slave and then he was set free. The Emancipation Proclamation took place, and he got he was set on fire for the Lord. But in his book, as he writes about being a slave, 12 years of slave, so to speak, but his life was even longer, he makes the statement that those who used to be slaves would put their trust in God. I don't know how well I would have done if I had lived during the time of slavery, in the time where I would have been enslaved because of the color of my skin. But one of the songs that the slaves used to sing, the slaves who knew God, the slaves who put all of their trust in the Lord, said, keep inching along. Keep inching along. By and by. Jesus will come. And that's what I really say to us as the people of God, as we live this trust-driven life, keep inching along. Don't think that your Christian walk is going to take leaps and jumps. Keep inching along. Just be faithful. Keep taking the next step. Keep inching along. Keep inching along. And the road might be difficult. The road might be hard. The road might be not what you want it to be, but keep inching along. Keep trusting in the Lord wholeheartedly and exclusively and submissively. And God will bless you. And the blessing might not be until Jesus comes 
until you go to see Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, I thank you for these two verses that have meant much to many people of God throughout the years. And I pray that they will mean much to us as those who profess to be your followers, those who profess to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, O God, to live this trust-driven life. May that life manifest itself in us trusting you wholeheartedly and exclusively and submissively. Father, we're so prone to lean on our own understanding, to think that we know best. What an insult that must be to you that we think we know more than you about how to live life. Rid us of our arrogance and of our pride, of our foolishness, to think that in our own understanding, we know how to live. We need you. We need wisdom from above. We need you to help us to submit every area of our life to you. Thank you that you deserve that, but you even promise us blessings. Blessings for what we should do, since we are the creature and you are the creator. But you choose and say to us that you will make our paths straight. You will prosper us. You will bless us. So help us to be faithful to you and to trust in you with all of our heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.